welcome to Doctor Who Panel to Panel. This is Jeremy Bement, welcoming you to episode number 142 of Panel to Panel. This is a jam-packed episode. Thank you for downloading it. I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode. Let me tell you what's going to be in it. We're going to start out like we always do by going over Doctor Who comic news. We'll cover new releases for the month of July and also cover what is going on in the world of Doctor Who comics. And then we are going to do a couple reviews. We will first open the Pandorica and take a look at the newest offering from Titan Comics, which is Doctor Who Origins issue number two. And then we will go into the Matrix to take a look at a story that somehow slipped my mind, but it's one of my favorites. It is called Space Squid, and that is from back in the IDW Matt Smith days. And uh, we are going to take a look at that. And the reason we're taking a look at that story is because right after that, we'll have an interview with Josh Adams. Josh Adams is somebody who is a comic artist and uh, an artist in his own right. He is someone who worked on Doctor Who comics back in the IDW days. And he did a couple stories for them. One story that I reviewed quite a while back called The Eye of Ashara. And this other story called Space Squid, which was actually the first story he did for IDW. But somehow it slipped my mind when we were chatting and I was interviewing him. So I'm rectifying that right now by doing a review of Space Squid, which I really enjoyed. So we'll be talking with Josh about his work on Doctor Who comics, uh, what he's been up to lately, how he got into comics. Um, We will chat about his dad, uh, legendary Neil Adams, and all sorts of different stuff. And um, that is it for the episode. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you for downloading this episode. Make sure you, if you've missed past episodes of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, you go to uh, archive.org and do a search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel or Jeremy B. Ment to find all previous episodes. Uh, right up to the current ones, in, uh, they're all available as MP3 files for you to download and listen to. So with this intro out of the way, let's jump into the news. In Doctor Who comic news for this episode of Panel to Panel, let's go over new releases. We are going to just kind of take a look at July. Now July is about halfway over. Let's go back to Wednesday, July 6th. That is when Doctor Who Origins number 2 came out from Titan Comics. That is the comic we'll be taking a look at here in a review momentarily. And uh, that's it on the calendar for right now, although if uh, things go according to plan... On Thursday, July 21st, the new Doctor Who magazine, which should be Doctor Who magazine issue number 580, should be out over in the UK and also digitally. So uh, you can pretty well bank on that one coming out on the 21st as long as the four-week schedule holds out for Panini. Uh, In other comic book news, let's take a look at San Diego Comic Con because San Diego Comic Con is coming up here this coming week. And... Once again, now that the pandemic is kind of basically over, uh, things are getting back to normal in San Diego, and they're going to be doing a Doctor Who Comics panel from Titan Comics. Uh, It is going to be happening on Thursday, July 21st, from 2 to 3 p.m. It is uh, on the guests on that panel are going to be Dan Slott and Jody Hauser. And they're going to be talking about, the, of course, the Doctor Who special that's coming out in October, as well as Jody will be talking about the Doctor Who origin uh, miniseries that's going on right now. So if you're at San Diego Comic-Con, make sure you attend that panel and uh, find out all the, the backstory about these two uh, Doctor Who projects from Titan. 
Also, I'm sure that if you are at San Diego, you can find lots of writers and artists that have worked on Doctor Who comics over the years that are going to be there. I'm uh, Paul Cornell, I believe, is going to be there. Dan Slott, of course, Jody Hauser. There's plenty of uh, artists that will be at San Diego at Comic-Con once again. And uh, make sure you take along some Doctor Who comics. Make sure you uh, say hi to them. Thank them for all the work they've done for Doctor Who comics. And get an autograph or two. Next on the Doctor Who comic news list, um, Humble Bundle. For those of you who don't know what Humble Bundle is, it's a website, humblebundle.com, where you can go and you can pay um, basically a, a, a set fee or a price, uh, like a minimum, and you get a bunch of stuff for your, what you're paying. Um, and in this case, Titan Comics has just put up a bunch of Doctor Who comics that you can get digitally for the low, low price of $35. Starting out at $35, that's kind of the minimum threshold. Um, you get uh, 56 collected editions, 56 trade paperbacks of Doctor Who comics that they've put up. Basically, it's pretty much all the stuff they put out up till recently. Um, and you can get it all for $35. You get them uh, as digital downloads, as PDFs, EPUB files, and CBZ files. So you have three different formats that you can read all these Doctor Who comics in. Trust me, I've read all these comics. There's lots of good reading in here, lots of amazing art. And for your $35 minimum pledge, you can contribute more. It's all going to a good cause. It's all going to the Children in Need charity. Uh, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Uh, as of right now, as the time I'm recording this news uh, feed, they've raised $14,857 for charity. So all the money that this Humble Bundle is getting for Titan Comics is going to charity. So almost $15,000 has been raised so far. If you've missed out on some of the, the Titan Comics, even some of the IDW stuff, that some of these uh, digital downloads are the archives, the 10th and 11th Doctor archives. So you can get all, a lot of the uh, IDW comics as well as the vast majority of Titan comics for $35. It's a no-brainer in my opinion. Can't go wrong there. Make sure you pledge your $35 and uh, get that. Lastly on the news, uh, I have to go to my email because I just got an email update from uh, Cutaway Comics. They just sent out an email update Today, today being the 17th of July, giving an update for Gods and Monsters. Um, I'm going to just kind of read this to you. So I've been trying to get uh, Gareth uh, Kavanaugh uh, onto the podcast to talk about what's going on with Cutaway, but we've kind of missed each other scheduling-wise. But this is kind of a good way to find out what's going on with Cutaway Comics. So let me read you uh, this email. Uh, afternoon all, all. It's so hot in Manchester today, but don't worry. Work continues apace with Gods and Monsters, and it seemed a good time to let you know what we're up to. Um, so starting out with uh, Faustine. Martin Garrity continues work at a lovely pace on the opening Faustine two-parter. We're two-thirds complete on the art there, and it's looking gorgeous. Colors are in place by Andrew Orton. I think you'll agree it looks gorgeous, and Steve Gallagher is tickled pink with the end result. And uh, they gave you kind of a sample, and it does look really good. On to an update on Omega. Uh, delighted to say John Ridgway has completed art and colors on Mark Griffith's Omega one-shot completely. 
It's looking as beautiful as you'd expect. Ready for lettering by Colin Brockhurst. And a sample of that as well. Looks good. Sutek. Work continues apace on Ian Winterton's Sutek the Heretic Strip. Adrian Salmon is a good two-thirds through the strip in terms of penciled, inked, and colored pages. There's a lot to unpack in this one, but it's going to be a treat. Uh, then they show a thumbnail uh, of Sutek that Aid has drawn, and he looks very, very mighty and powerful. And then it continues on. And of course, it's not just all go on book one. Work is also underway on Gods and Monsters book two. Libby Reed is well underway with Sean Mason's much-anticipated Iris Wild Time one-shot, with old fave Steve B. Scott getting stuck into pencils and inks for Ian Winterton's Drax London Calling, the first part of a very clever 70s set two-parter, continuing the story from Bob Baker's much-enjoyed Eldred one-shot from last year. And there's a couple sneak peek pages there that look really, really nice. Both looking beautiful... Both Things We Know You'll Love as Gods and Monsters continues to evolve into our biggest and most ambitious story to date, encompassing 14 issues once it's all done and dusted. The aim at the moment is to get Gods and Monsters Book 1 launched this autumn with as short a publishing schedule as we can practically manage, with one eye to keeping the frequency brief and moving to Book 2 soonest. Beyond this, we're expecting delivery of the outstanding Omega merch and Paradise Towers number 3 late next week. Once we get it in, we'll look at when we can get on the road to get all the signatures we need, and then we'll be shipping soon as we can, weather and holidays permitting. We'll post a separate update on this, but please be assured you're not forgotten in all the excitement promise. The next Kickstarters are likely to be any of the Happiness Patrol, once Aid has finished Sutek and taken a breather, Gary Russell's Inferno prequel, once Martin has taken a breather. Affirmative, Ian Winterton's much-anticipated Doctor Who fan coming-of-age graphic novel. And the lavish Philip Hinchcliffe coffee table illustrated biography. We have in production with Philip himself and the excellent Graham Burke, with design by Colin Brockhurst. Uh, That's planned to be quite the package. I can't wait to share the deets with you at a later date. And uh, they um, follow up by saying we'll be at Hooverville and Derby this September. So do drop by to say hello. It's a lovely convention. Um, so they have a lot of stuff planned. In fact, in this uh, email, there's stuff I didn't even know about, like, like the uh, affirmative coming Doctor Who fan coming age graphic novel and a Philip Hinchcliffe coffee table illustrated biography that uh, was written by a friend of the show, Graham Burke. So we will have to have Grandma on to chat about that. So there you go. This is kind of a, it's actually lots and lots of news, but it's all good stuff. So there you go with the news update. And now let's jump into a couple reviews. All right, it's time to open the Pandorica on a new Doctor Who comic and do a review of it. And we'll take a look at it. This time around, we are looking at Doctor Who Origins, issue number two from Titan Comics. This comic is wonderfully written by the wonderful Jody Hauser, with art by Roberta Ingranata, coloring by Warnia K. Sahadwa, lettering by Richard Starkings and comic crafts Jimmy Bentoncourt. Uh, Jake Devine's the editor, and Oz Brown is the art director. So let's uh, look at the previously, since we didn't do a review of the first issue. The Doctor, in a previously forgotten regeneration, 
has been sent on a mission by the clandestine Time Lord agency known as Division. Partnered with an eager new recruit, Taslo, she must eliminate a terrorist organization intent on destroying the Time Lords. However, upon arrival at their home planet, they are greeted by a seemingly peaceful tribe. That's basically where this issue picks up. They are having dinner with this peaceful tribe who are celebrating the fact that they have a guest in way of a Time Lord and companion. Uh, Taslo, uh, who is very suspicious of what's going on, uh, lets the doctor know so, but the doctor is like, let's learn more about these people. We're here amongst them and uh, find out what's going on. So um, it's the evening. They're having this, this party and dinner, and then the doctor and Taslo go back to the TARDIS for the night. So the next day, the doctor and Taslo uh, meet with Noat. Noat gives them a tour of the colony and is talking about what their their plans are, what they're up to, expansions, that kind of thing, so that the doctor can take back this report. And uh, that is when Taslo decides it's her time to strike and stabs Noat and kills her. And uh, that's when the surprising thing happens and uh, Noat regenerates into a new version of Noat who looks more like a lizard uh, than, kind of reminds me of the aliens from V. Um, but she regenerates and uh, that's when we find out that the these colony, these inhabitants of this colony are all Time Lords. They've been there for, for many, many years, and they've regenerated and kind of taken on the look or the feel of what inhabitants of this planet would be. Um, that's why they don't look like human, you know, regular human beings. And um, that r kind of raises even more questions for the Doctor and Taslo, including why would the Time Lords send them to this colony to to find and say that these people are are trying to kill off the Time Lords when they are actually Time Lords themselves. So that's where we kind of leave issue number two hanging, so halfway through this story. Um, my review of this story, I enjoyed this this issue. Um, to me, these two issues, the first and second issue, this, this whole story, Jody Hauser feels like she really likes the the fugitive doctor and coming up with this new companion of Taslo and putting them on this mission. Um, it's not too complicated a mission, but at the same time, it's it, there's enough mystery in it that it's it's wet my appetite to find out what goes on in the story, um, what's going to happen in the story, where Jody's leading the story to. Um, to me, thinking back, well, not just on this story, but also on the Missy miniseries that preceded this, it almost seems to me that Jody is enjoying telling these these other stories about other characters like Missy and the Fugitive Doctor more than she did about the 13th Doctor, even to the point where maybe she was a fan more of the 10th Doctor, and that's why she brought the 10th Doctor in to meet up with the 13th Um I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing things, throwing ideas out there. Um, but anyway, as far as the story goes, I've, I've, the second issue I enjoyed more than the first because it kind of gave me a, a nice little plot twist and added more to the story, more mystery to it, and uh, it makes me want to know what's going on. Uh, Roberta's artwork is just as good as it always is. The coloring is amazing. Um, they, Roberta and Warnia seem to have a good... Uh, relationship be between the two of them to create really nice artwork. 
issue after issue after issue. You know what you're going to get with a Doctor Who comic when you uh, pick one up, when you buy one, and they're just continuing to do an excellent job. So this issue um, is, has been better than the previous few issues that I think Jody has put out, just because the story is, is to me, is a little bit stronger. It doesn't have a, a lot to it, but at the same time, there's enough to it that it's uh, really intriguing to me. So I'm curious to see where this one goes. So um, I enjoyed it. Doctor Origins number two is definitely one to pick up, uh, especially if you're a fan of the Fugitive Doctor. So make sure you check it out. Exterminate! It is time to go into the Matrix to take a look at a past Doctor Who story. This is just a one-shot story, but it's one of my favorites. It is called Space Squid. It is from uh, back in the Matt Smith 11th Doctor era. It is uh, IDW Doctor Who Series 2, issue number 9. It was written by Tony Lee with art by Josh Adams and uh, coloring by uh, Rochelle Rosenberg and lettering by Sean Lee and Neil Uitaki. Uh, the story came out back in 2011, and it's uh, just a really fun story. It was a continuation from the previous story that Tony Lee had told, where they uh, added a companion to the group of the Doctor and uh, Amy and Rory, and they added a Tyrannosaurus Rex by the name of Kevin. Kevin became a companion on the TARDIS. He travels with the Doctor and Rory and Amy. So he is canon in Doctor Who comic terms. Uh, Kevin's one of my favorite companions because he's a talking Tyrannosaurus Rex. What can go wrong there? Uh, this story, Space Squid, starts out with uh, showing the adventures that the Doctor and Amy and Rory go on with Kevin. And by the time he gets to the, the end of a week... Uh, Kevin is kind of glum because he wants to is trying to figure out his purpose, what he is meant to do. And he talks to Rory about this, who Rory kind of feels the same way about himself, so um, they're talking about that. But then meanwhile, the next day uh, on Space Station E-11, Nebula Base, um, we find out that there's a group of uh, people showing up to the to celebrate the the coming of the holy space squid uh the end of days is coming is what they're saying because the space squid is supposed to come and that signifies the end of times doomsday and the tardis shows up with the doctor and amy and rory and kevin because kevin's along for the ride Kevin kind of is hanging in the TARDIS while everybody else kind of finds out what's going on. And when the the space squid's about to show up, that's when the the crowd that's inside starts kind of rioting almost uh, because the space squid is showing up. It's time for the end of times. But as the Doctor and Amy and Rory start exploring, and Kevin, because Kevin comes out to kind of quiet things down, we find out that there is a, a, a gentleman who is almost like the the religious leader of the space squid cult and he is uh, now the space squid has showed up the space squid is everybody is rioting and trying to destroy the space station but then as the story progresses you find out that the space squid is a telepath and has kind of taken control of everybody in the cult including and as well as amy and rory so it's down to kind of the doctor and kevin to to solve things and uh, i highly suggest you read the story because the way kevin helps out is just great stuff um 
In fact, you'll hear a little bit about it in the interview with Josh Adams. So, uh, by the time it's all said and done, the the space station is saved. Everything's all well and good, and Kevin figures out what his purpose is. He is going to stay on the space station uh, running security. So, all is well that ends well in this story. This story, I remember reading when it came out, and I just love this story to bits. It was a fun story. It was just a one-shot, quick little story to kind of put Kevin on his way. And uh, what I found out later talking to Gary Russell, who was kind of the editor or the, the approval person at the BBC for the Doctor Who comics, when Tony Lee wanted to add Kevin the Dinosaur as a companion, Gary said, you can put him in for one story, but then you have to get rid of him. It just is not going to work. So that's what this story is, is kind of giving Kevin his fond farewell. And although Kevin only lasted for this one shot and the story pre uh, preceding it that introduced him, uh, I, Kevin's one of my favorite companions. What? How can you go wrong with a, a talking Tyrannosaurus Rex as a companion of the Doctor? The story was fun. Josh Adams' artwork is very nice. Um, he captured likenesses very well. I thought it was a, a, a fun story. He did an excellent job on it. Tony Lee did an excellent job writing the story. It's a fun story. Track this one down. Um, the easiest way probably to find it, it is in the uh, 11th Doctor Archives Volume 1 from Titan Comics, which you should be able to track down or order from your favorite comic shop. Or otherwise, go to HumbleBundle.com and take advantage of their deal right now to get the, uh, the the 59 collected editions of Doctor Who comics from Titan, including the 11th Doctor Archives Volume 1, and you can read the story for yourself. So make sure you check it out. Excellent story, Space Squid. Uh, don't miss out on this one. It's a fun, it's a fun one. You will be Today on Doctor Who Panel to Panel, I have the pleasure of chatting with Josh Adams. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Um, you're one of the people that I've never really uh, seen an interview with or heard a, a podcast with, um, although you've been uh, doing all sorts of different kind of projects and art for quite some time. And you did Doctor Who comics back in the IDW days. But before I get into that, I wanted to to ask how you got involved or how you became uh, an artist. Um, I think most people know that your your dad is Neil Adams, who is one of the, the legends in the world of comics. Um, did you feel any pressure when you were growing up to, to follow in your dad's footsteps and become an artist? Or did you have another career planned or different ideas of what you wanted to do? Um, well, no, there was, there was no pressure. Um, I had sort of an interesting dynamic growing up because, uh, my dad wasn't really doing comic books when I was a kid. Um, he had, you know, done comics, you know, through the sixties, seventies uh -huh. and kind of focused on, you know, other, other artistic projects through the eighties and nineties. So I was born in a seven. So okay. you know, it was really in the, in the heart of doing commercial advertising and sorry, mm -hmm. commercial artwork for advertising and doing theme park design and stuff like that. So he was a one, you know, always a wonderful artist in my eyes, but I never had, um, you know, a real perspective on, on his comic career. Not uh -huh. until I was about a teenager. And by then I had been drawing a lot, you know, just because, you know, my dad draws, so I draw too. Yeah. Um, yep. And it was funny because I decided you know, when I was in about my high school years that I wanted to 
uh, be a comic book artist. And that was also around the same time that dad decided he wanted to do mainstream comics again. Okay. So, so I start, you know, learning the ins and outs of doing comics and, you know, celebrating my little victories. And meanwhile, you know, just on the other side of the room or, or not even just a few feet away from me, my dad's at his desk uh, and he's doing these amazing comic pages like it's nothing. Yeah. So it was certainly <laughs> intimidating, but encouraging at the, the possibilities. But uh, he never he never pressured me into getting into comics. He just, you know, wanted to provide his insight and his knowledge and, and help. Um, he always took it very seriously, you know, the learning process and, uh-huh. and told me, you know, if 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 you ever want to learn, you know, we can we can do it. We can you know go through these these lessons and figure things out. But, you know, you can't you can't half ass it, so to speak. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you take him up on that then and, and ask him to, you know, critique stuff that you did or or did he kind of peek over your shoulder as you were working and offer constructive criticism? Oh, it's a little of both. I mean, I did I did want to learn from him and he did teach me a lot of things. But there were also certainly days where I was at my drawing desk and he'd walk by and he'd look over my shoulder and he'd say, are you sure about that? You know, about whatever <laughs> I was doing and, and I asked to take another look at it. And, you know, to my untrained eyes at the time, I go, I thought that looks looks all right. And then, you know, I'd, I'd muddle at it a bit and then finally I'd go over to him and I'd go, OK, what did I do? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That that would it'd, it'd be kind of neat to to have that kind of dynamic with your dad. Uh, you know, both being artist and and him being somebody who has done you know decades worth of work before you've started and and <laughs> and can kind of just kind of peek over things and say, yeah, are you sure you want to do it that way? And just kind of leave it at that to let you kind of figure it out on your own. Yeah. Well, I mean, he would he would let me know if I asked, but he uh-huh. never wanted to, you know, come in and tell me what I did. He didn't want to discourage me. You know, he wanted my curiosity and my want to be better to bring myself to him, you know, when I needed it. Uh-huh. But occasionally he would he would have to, you know, just hint that maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. You no, know, just just a little, you know, tap on the shoulder or uh-huh. a curious question. Sure. Um, so you, you wanted to become a comic artist, um, kind of from the get go and, and how long did you kind of work at the craft of being an artist before you were able to kind of get in, get your feet wet and get into your first gig doing comic art? Um, well, I mean, I drew my whole, I was drawing my whole life, you know, cause it was, it's just fun, you know, it's drawing pictures. Uh-huh. I, I always yeah. tell people like, you know, it, it, it's hard to find, it's hard to have hardships when you get paid to draw pictures. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I was, I was really trying to find opportunities at a, at a young age. So, you know, I would find my way onto sort of like indie projects or, you know, little self-published things that, you know, people would be willing to pay a bit for. Uh-huh. And I, I, you know, even as like a teenager, but I was also just, I was looking for any kind of artistic responsibility. So when I was 17, uh, in high school, we had a program where um, you could you could get um, an internship uh, at a place uh, at, at any sort of job, okay. uh, and you would use that experience to write a, a senior thesis for your for high school. 
Oh, that's uh, cool. And I had some connections with some people who worked at the Sci-Fi Channel, and oh, so yeah. I got myself a, an, an internship at their in their graphics department. So the the department that would produce um, all the graphics for their advertising, it would produce all the in-house graphics for their shows. So like you know, okay. if a Friday Night Movie or something, they would produce the the title sequence and things like that. Um, and so I got to do storyboards there. And um, as a, as a you know while I was still in high school, um, yeah. And uh, so so I was always looking for experiences like that. So it wasn't always comics that was getting my attention. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I was I was just kind of hustling for like anything where someone would trust me to be their artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think I guess my first like. I did some, you know, I did some assistant work for other artists like Dennis Calero. Um, you know, he was really great to me. He he trusted me to do a lot of stuff with him. Okay, uh, gave me some assignments while I was, you know, still in college. Uh huh. And um, I think like my first real mainstream work was working with my dad on uh, House of Mystery. Um, he got asked to do an assignment, and you know, it was he was working on. Uh, he was working on Batman Odyssey at the time, so he okay. didn't really have a ton of time to work on other projects. And so he he kind of pitched that I would pencil it and he would ink it, and it was just like a short story. So that was kind of my first real big assignment. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think I was, ooh, maybe maybe about twenty at the time. Okay. Uh, twenty twenty one maybe. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean that was. You know, I, I had I had all the opportunities to kind of like have my foot in the door because I grew up in the business. But yeah. um, you know, I was so all over the place with the with the opportunities that were around for an artist that it wasn't just comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's cool. And you're you're mentioning working uh, or interning at the the Sci Fi Channel. Um, mm-hmm. Were you always interested in science fiction, or um, you know, growing up kind of alongside the the comic book aspect? Uh, yeah, I, I was. I I definitely consumed sci-fi because I mean, you know, I, growing up in a family where you know the the patriarch does comics, it, it's kind of just around. Yeah, um, and you get exposed to a lot of those things. I mean, my dad was friends with you know uh, film sort of film director Stuart Gordon, so we'd, we'd hang out with Stuart Gordon and. You know, we saw some of his, you know, he worked on Reanimator and things like that. So, uh-huh. you know, I always had like a lot of exposure to a lot of the, the sci-fi, sci-fi horror, um, and a lot of just a ton of different films. I loved, I grew up loving Star Wars. Um, yeah. And we watched Star Trek in, in my house. My brother Joel was obsessed with Star Trek growing up. So oh, yeah. I, you know, coming of age and Next Generation was, was coming out, you know, uh-huh. Star Trek was always on the house and um you know i love to read you know different sci-fi and different you know curious tales i love michael crichton so jurassic okay. park sphere congo eaters of the dead you know it was just uh-huh. you know you're you're in a you're in a creative environment and and you kind of absorb those things so yeah i was always i was always into it and sci-fi channel was a wonderful experience especially at the time that i was interning there because they were producing so much original content at that point so yeah. i started there and they were they just started to show eureka okay and, and warehouse 13 
and alphas and it was just a lot of like cool you know sci-fi i mean it was hard it was hard for them to produce those kinds of shows because it was a big investment and they were you know not the biggest network in the world but yeah to be a part of like that kind of effort was really great and you know since then you know in the in the ensuing 15 years networks have really embraced you know doing original sci-fi content you know beyond Uh the sci-fi channel so it's it's a good time to to, if you're a sci-fi fan on tv yeah most definitely now how when did you become aware of doctor who or become a doctor who fan um i first watched doctor who at a pretty young age um i believe it was on pbs when i was a kid um something like something like that um and uh, my first doctor was Tom Baker. Um, okay. And uh, it was just, you know, you're a kid and, and you know, there's a, there's a guy with a crazy scarf who's, you know, you know, got all his personality and he's doing these, you know, sci-fi adventures. Like, uh-huh. why not? you know, I was, I think it was, I was catching, you know, Tom Baker, Doctor Who and uh, Max Headroom. Uh, or on around the time and Red Dwarf as well. Okay, yeah, that like batch of shows that I was seeing a lot as a kid. Uh-huh. Um, there was there was definitely and there was definitely like a, a like a British television kick that was going on in my household when I was young. Um, so there was even you know there's a few other shows that were not sci-fi that were that were getting a good uh, healthy dose of like uh, the British Empire and oh yeah. Uh, you know, getting some sci- uh, so we're getting some you know mysteries, Poirot and other Agatha mm-hmm. Christie. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get that that kind of gritty, grainy sci-fi with a wonderful optimism and and you know just something that I think just kind of speaks to you know a kid's sense of adventure. So yeah, I had Tom Baker, and then um, a funny thing was um, for whatever reason when we were watching the show. They, they, they skipped. I guess they skipped over broadcasting a chunk of of Peter Davison, and so right. going from Tom Baker to um, uh, Colin Baker, right? Uh huh. Yep. Um, and that was really jarring. <laughs> um, <laughs> I could I could see that. Yeah. So so like I you know as much as I like Colin Baker now, that switch like almost completely turned me off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Just because you know, like, like, I, I, you know, it's hard to explain, but you know, you kind of, you kind of fall in love with your your first doctor, and um, it takes a while to to kind of pick up on a new one. And I feel like they went through a real creative and stylistic change from Baker to Baker, you know. And yeah, and I, Peterson, I think, I, that's a, 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 a Peter Davison really kind of uh, carried carried the ball well through that transition. Yeah, I, I can I can see the there's a pretty big contrast in between Tom Baker and Colin Baker as far as Tom Baker was you know more of a, a flashy, friendly, uh, funny kind of doctor, whereas Colin Baker, especially at the beginning of his tenure, was very kind of dark and crass and and the loud coat and uh, not yeah. nearly as friendly as tom baker was he was a strange juxtaposition of a doctor because he had that that loud visual style but that intense you know personality uh-huh. and so you know you you almost he almost looks like 
you know, like a kid, like some crazy kids TV show host, but then he, yeah. you know, he starts going on and it's, it really like throws you off, uh-huh. especially as a kid. It's just, but yeah, I mean, I've grown to, grown to love him, you know, since then. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was my first real exposure. And then, you know, I was off for a good while and then uh, knew who started with, uh, with uh, um, Christopher Eccleston. Um, uh-huh. And uh, that kind I of sucked you back into it then. Yeah, I believe what was it was it being broadcast in the US on sci-fi at the time? Um oh, yeah, it, it, after a few months of it first starting to air over on BBC, that's when sci-fi got the first season. Yeah, um and so uh my oldest brother Joel kind of kind of plugged us back into it and uh you know, I loved Christopher Eccleston. I loved, you know, everything about that run. Uh-huh. And I had I had almost the exact same experience where i went from eccleston and i don't even think i'm not even sure i made it through the first season initially um just because my brother my brother's actually lives on the west coast um, okay so i watched like a few episodes with him and it was really awesome it was really great but he i think he probably had to go back to the west coast um he was just in for a visit uh-huh. and i i stopped watching it after after because you know my brother's gone and you know it's a fun thing you do with your brother yeah um, and so I miss I missed almost the entirety of David Tennant, <laughs> uh, <Okay>. <laughs> and then uh, Matt Smith got announced as the Doctor, and I was like, oh, you know, I'll give it a shot. It's kind of a new jumping on point, uh-huh. um, and I I, I immediately fell in love with Matt Smith, and so okay. I went back. I went through everything. Um, that was really when I just I started to consume like everything Doctor Who. So I went back and I watched. The full Eccleston season. I watched all the David Tennant episodes, back into Matt Smith, and then you know once I was caught, you know caught up on Matt Smith, I was like, wait a minute, let's let's go back, back, uh-huh. let's go way back. Yeah, so I, I was deep dive Doctor Who for a while. I mean, like, I would meet people and we talk for a while, and I would just wait for that moment to be like, do you watch Doctor Who? <laughs> and they'll be like, oh no, and I'd be like, hey, why don't you sit down and we're gonna watch like 50 years of the show right now <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's good that, that matt smith was your kind of your gateway back into things um did, did your interest in matt smith kind of lead into the 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 issues of doctor who that you did for idw uh yes absolutely um there's something about matt smith where he's he's just like fun to draw um so, you know, when you when you're an artist and you're, you know, you draw all the time, you know, you're doing one particular subject or another subject and it can kind of drag you down a little bit. And so you throw in other things to do. And so while I was watching Doctor Who, I was just sketching Matt Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't exactly know how, you know, two and two came together. But at some point I found myself contacting um, IDW. Um, okay. Uh, I've I've had a relationship at the time with a number of people at IDW. Um, notably, I, I, I knew Chris Ryle, who was you know their their yeah. editor chief and uh-huh. running the show there. And Chris was always was always one of the most approachable people in the world. Um, you know, you could just write him. Like, I mean, I I don't think I had any special treatment by any means. Um, you could just write him, and he'll point you in the right direction. So okay. I wrote to him. I was like, look, I'm looking to get some work. Some different comic work in particular, you know, I've really been loving, you know, what you guys have been doing with Doctor Who. Um, 
could you point me in the right direction? And he, you know, he wrote back to me, you know, the next day and he said, yeah, Denton Tipton is, is our editor. Um, this is his email and uh, I'll let him know that you're, you're going to write to him. And that was kind of how it started. Okay. Um, Denton was, you know, Denton's a fantastic editor. Um, I wrote to him and, and uh, he was like, you know, do me some samples, show me what you can do. We'll get you kind of, you know, pre-approved, so to mm-hmm. speak, because, you know, BBC has to see that whoever they hire can do the characters. Yeah. And he's like, look, we, we don't have like a spot in the schedule for you yet, but we'll keep you on the books. And I, I said, just a warning. I'm going to write to you all the time. <laughs> this is something I want to do. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I think he took that as like a joke at first. And then after a while, he's like, OK, he's writing me all the time. <laughs> he's, he's following through with his word. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Um, and my other my other little trick was, you know, um, I was doing a bunch of conventions at the time. And so I just started like promoting myself as a Doctor Who artist. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I was like, well, I know I'm going to do it eventually. So, you know, I started, I just started like, I, I printed up, you know, a banner with, with, you know, Matt Smith, Doctor Who on there. And, and, uh, you know, I had some prints and I had a sketchbook that already had some Doctor Who sketches in it. Uh-huh. Um, so I just started featuring those a little more at shows. And I even, um, made some friends with some of the licensing people at BBC America. Uh, okay. So I was doing these conventions, and and people were already starting to like get to know me as that, and and uh, you know I just remind Denton, it's like by the way, you know like people are like asking when my first book's going to come out, so we should like get that sorted. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not the best look. It's not the best way to uh, make a great relationship with an editor. By like strong arming him into a position where like we'll all look bad if you don't give me a job. If, if you don't give, yeah, if you don't put me to work on this book that I've been telling people that I'm going to be doing, then you, I'm yeah. going to look bad. You're going to look bad. Yeah, <laughs> but but Denton is a good sport, so uh, <laughs> uh, he 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 took it in stride and you know didn't like end my in my career there. Um, and eventually, you know, we we lined up on a schedule and he got me on some stuff. Um, but uh, there was a point, man, where like I was at a show and I was like, man, you know, it's been a few months since I started doing this, and uh, maybe I'm not going to get any work on Doctor Who, and I have to kind of swallow my pride on this. But then, uh-huh. long after that, yeah, we—I think my first work was uh, was the like a four pager on one of their annuals that okay. led to the next story that they ended up giving me as well. So mm-hmm. was that story the the eye of Ashara? Uh, that was no, that was that was after that. This was, was after that it one. Was, um, it was it was one that was on a ship. It was like on like a. Uh, I think I did two. Wait, did I do two stories that were on like space cruises? I feel like I did. I think so. I, I, <laughs> I had, the one like, I was reading this morning was the eye of Ashara. That's why I asked about that one. Um, I did the first one I did was with was with uh, with Tony Lee. Um, okay. And uh, it had Kevin the dinosaur in it. Oh yes, yes, yes! One of my favorite companions that they didn't utilize enough. Yeah, and he, and, <laughs> and he had to fight a giant space squid. Yep, um, yep. I remember that one now. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was fun. I really got inside my own head on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
because I really I wanted to knock it out of the park, but I I think I overthought it. You know, I was to be perfectly fair, like I was pretty I was still pretty like like raw as a comic book artist. You know, I uh-huh. still didn't, needed some time to cook before I took on you know the stuff I was trying to take on. Yeah. Um, or at least before I tackled what I had in my head. Um, but still, it was it was really fun. You know, I did that first four pager, which which featured you know the doctor and Amy and Rory taking Kevin to all these different locations where he could kind of like figure out where you know he belonged. Uh-huh. And it was where great, like vignettes. You know, it was like one of him, you know, as a as a noir detective and yes, yeah, uh, just getting to draw a dinosaur trying to be like a person. <laughs> hilarious. Um, and then we did the yeah, and then we did the the actual full issue. Um, which again, it was just, it was good fun, you know, working on the uh-huh. story was, you know, whether it was, you know, a ton of time to work on them or no time at all, it was still fun. You know, I, I don't think you can get bored doing Doctor Who because, you know, one day you're on a space cruise and the next day you're in a Western and, or a noir film or whatever. It's all these vibe is always changing. Yeah. I, and I think doc, that's one of the things that Doctor Who is a TV show is that way that there's so much, such a big realm of possibilities of the kind of stories you can do on the television, but also comic book wise, there's so many different genres and uh, art styles and things you can do that, you know, Doctor Who can take many different shapes and forms. Yeah. How'd you get bored? You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's a wonder, um, you know, the, the only times I've ever been, you know, dragged down by Doctor Who is when it, it gets too involved in itself, you know, in its own sort of lore. Yeah. I, I kind of like the you know, the crazy stories and everything being different all the time. And and it's fun to have the sort of legend of the Doctor. But mm-hmm. then, you know, there's there were certain points, especially in like the last couple seasons where like it was so much more about Oh, what do the Time Lords do? What do we do with the Time Lords? How's our own history? And it's just like, oh, just put me, put me in a Western, do a, do a fun, <laughs> crazy, you know, thought piece, uh-huh. sci-fi, and like, let me love these characters. You yeah. Know? So sometimes I, I think the, the, the showrunner or the person in charge kind of wants to put their own personal stamp on the history of, of the Doctor, almost a little too much where they that kind of consumes too much of the story where you don't get enough of just a fun uh yeah and you start getting like an entire season or series that's just basically this one story Mm -hmm. it's it's better like you know what people people will give you know stephen moffat crap for you know some of his tenure on doctor who um but like I loved that I could get like a series arc that never felt like a series arc until you got to those last you know two episodes and yeah and kind of came together and you went like holy crap it all was it all meant something uh-huh. but then I didn't I didn't have to watch the whole series you know thinking about that I was watching the whole series getting like crazy cool episode in Venice crazy cool episode in Rome and crazy cool episode, you know like. I was bouncing about and enjoying each episode. Yep. So there you go. It's not, I'm sure <laughs> it's one of the hardest series to write. Um, I, I would think so. I would try, think. Trying to get that balance in. Yeah. Well, I mean, imagine just as a showrunner for, for any show, you know, you have to be cognizant of the budget and, 
you know, the, the kind of rules and things you can and can't do and, you know, what stuff you can put your actors through. And suddenly now you're doing a show where, like, you can literally do anything provided that, you know, the budget and all these things work. Like, uh-huh. That's a lot, lot of creative freedom to rein in to tell a story and afford to tell a story. One reason why the comic books are wonderful because you can do a giant, you know, T Rex on a spaceship wearing a suit of armor fighting a giant space squid, and it will cost you the same amount of money as, you know, doing an episode that's completely done in the TARDIS. You know? Uh huh. Uh huh. Yep. Very true. So, so you did quite a few issues uh, for for IDW of Doctor Who. Were there any? Uh, challenges that you faced uh drawing the issues or was it all a piece of cake <laughs> well, there's no there's no piece of cake doing comics and um especially licensed art you know you, you have to tell a story using people who exist and so you, you have to you have to match their likeness or you have to match a style of their likeness uh-huh and, you know, there's two ways you go about it, which is you try and, you know, be as realistic as possible and get those likenesses as you can, as best you can, um, which is very challenging um, for some. And then there's then you come in, then you can also be, you know, a stylized artist who defines each character in their own style. And as long as they stay within that style, it becomes a little easier. You know, yeah. that was one of the, the magic things about, like, you know, Matthew Dow Smith who had such a, a, a great run uh, on IDW's Doctor Who. And I believe he's doing Doctor Who again. Um, yep, he's going to be doing the uh, the special that's coming out. Is that the, is that the one with, with Dan Slott? Yep, okay. that is the one. Um, Matthew, he was, I mean, he had that style, which, you know, it, it felt, you know, completely his own. And he could, he could, you know, convey these characters in a way that, like, it was stylized, but you knew exactly who they were. You could see their personalities, you know, and he could just do those books, and he he killed it every time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so jealous of him, just <laughs> as, as just from like an ability to do what he did, versus like me, who like I sat there and I I like labored over likenesses, every single likeness. And look, I was I was you know in my very early twenties at the time. You know, it was it's a lot to yeah to put yourself through to kind of do that, but um, yeah, no, he really was was fantastic, and, and I, I looked up to his work for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's influenced me now in my more more recent stuff and the kind of things I experiment with. But um, no, it's a, it's a challenge to uh, to do a story to do these kind of Doctor Who stories. Um, you know, I. I uh, I enjoyed everyone that I worked on, but everyone also was a challenge. Okay. Uh, was it when, like in the script, uh, if there were pages or, or scenes where it was more, uh, not so much the, the characters, but more of like the like action scenes or, or uh, uh, scenic type illustrations, was it easier to do those pages than it was to do the likenesses and the, the talking faces kind of pages. I think, I think they all provided their own kind of challenges because, you know, there wasn't, I mean, there was rarely anything that was like scenic that you'd be like, well, I know exactly what that is. Cause a lot of it was like, you know, they're on the, they're on, you know, an alien cruise ship. Uh 
go, well, all right, so it kind of looks like a cruise ship, but it also has to look like something that's not found on Earth. So you're you're sitting there, and if you think of it like you're producing a TV show or a movie, you know you're the you're the you're the director because you're controlling the camera. Yeah. You're, you're the cinematographer because you got the lighting and you're figuring everything out. Um, you've got the set designer, you've got the costume designer. You you know you're doing all these things. You're sitting there coming up with all this stuff that didn't exist before. So uh-huh. it's a completely different kind of mental challenge. So it's either. I'm trying to, you know, nail this likeness and get the personality and the energy in it, or I'm designing an entire world for them to exist in. Yeah. Um, and it's still, it's so fun. It's so fun to do. Like, I mean, if, if, if there was, you know, I, I've been super busy now, so I can't necessarily say I would do it, but like, if there's an opportunity to do Doctor Who again, I would absolutely do Doctor Who again. It's so fun. Uh-huh. Um, That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I, I could I could see where it'd just be uh, just an enjoyable experience being able to to get a script of you're not even sure what's going to happen or where it's going to be set and uh, what what you have to to create and uh, accomplish and, and come up with just to to uh, to do the story. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, and and you know, right down to the the main character, the Doctor changes every now and then. So I mean. I only worked on Matt Smith as the doctor, but, you know, nowadays with the way Titan is doing it, you know, I could work on Matt Smith or Eccleston or Jody or uh, uh, any number of any of the classic who's. Yeah. Yep. So like, it's like it's like having a stable of what, 14, 15 characters now, you know, uh-huh. all, the, all the same person, but they're all different. They all have their own flavor. So, yeah, it's a wild, wild world to, to play around in. Oh, definitely. Um, the during your run or your issues that you did for IDW, you worked with Tony Lee and uh, Andy Diggle, uh, who wrote the Eye of Ashara. Um, what was it like working with the two different writers? Did they have kind of different writing styles or ways that they gave you the story to to draw? Uh, yes, I also worked with Richard Dinnick as well. On, on oh, yep, I forgot about him. Um, yes, they all had very different styles. Um, I would say I probably worked closest with Richard since it was one of his first stories, um, uh-huh. at IDW. Um, and so there was, there was a lot of back and forth. Um, Andy, uh, I loved Andy Diggle's story, but at the same time, he was also doing a lot of work at DC. So, you know, I, I kind of, I, I respected that he was probably super busy at the time and I just kind of plugged away at what I was doing. Okay. Uh, and Tony, Tony was a lot of fun. He's he's always got these sort of quirky, like little little side inside jokes in his stories, and uh, has so much insight on Doctor Who. Uh, so so he kind of like he was the first person I worked with, and so he kind of w- was shepherding shepherding me along the way through through his scripts, and was very helpful. And then Richard and I we were both, you know, he he. Um, he gave me so many fun things to do. And I think we had a 16 page story in, in an annual or something. Um, and we got to do these bird aliens that uh, I believe have been reused since then. Um, yep. I believe you're right. Uh, and it would, it's so cool to be like, yeah, I designed those, <laughs> those aliens. Uh-huh. That's all me. Yep, uh, yep, those are mine. Uh, and to get to, it, Terrible things like you design something and you want it to be cool and different, and then you go, okay, now I have to draw it in a story for sixteen pages. <laughs> I don't think I thought about that. 
but uh but yeah it was it, they all kind of had their own their own dynamic but it was all each one was fun and um you know uh, uh it was good to kind of have a close working relationship with with tony and richard mm-hmm. uh, i still talk to them you know fairly regularly i used to see tony at every san diego comic-con that he was attending and you know always admired that he that he you know dressed like a superstar and, you yep. know, himself that way uh-huh. uh, and i you know dressed like an average comic schlub <laughs> yeah tony is, is always an impeccable dresser always wearing his uh his vest or his waistcoat yeah exactly he's, he's a consummate professional uh-huh so your, your work on doctor who uh for idw that was that was quite some time ago it was going on 10 years ago roughly oh, is it yeah i know i, was, I feel like it, it never feels like a long time ago, but at the same time, I put myself in the in the mental spot of like where I was in my early twenties, um, feeling like I should have I should be producing like I was some sort of superstar. And uh-huh. I look back and I go like, Jesus, I was in my early twenties. What the hell am I expecting of myself? You know, like I can I can suck for a while. That's I'm allowed to. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's all part of the learning experience. Yeah. Yeah, I look at stuff I do now and I realize it sucks, but I at least I can admit it to myself that like, yeah, this sucks. I should be better next time. <laughs> well, looking back on on your work on the Doctor Who comic, do do you look at it as uh, I'm I sense that you you look at look at it as, you know, something you're very proud of being able to say, look, I worked on Doctor Who. I was a Doctor Who artist. But also, do you look at it as I learned quite a bit, you know, as this was kind of early on in my career, especially compared to to what you're doing now? Yeah, I I I look back on on my time working on Doctor Who very fondly for many reasons, not the least of which is that I got to do all these conventions as a Doctor Who artist and promote myself that way and Mm -hmm. meet with this community of Doctor Who fans, of which I am. And and it's such an amazing community. So, you know, I, I mean, like I, I can remember going to shows and like going to Kansas City and being at in a panel with uh, with other Doctor Who creators. And it was so packed that it was standing room only. Uh-huh. Like it was such a wild experience or being in, in Ottawa in Canada and doing a, pa- a Doctor Who panel and the local Doctor Who like fan group there had brought in Daleks to be on like either side of the stage. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, that's, those experiences are, are, are worth any, any amount of, you know, any difficulties or any stress of working on, on the books or anything like that. And so it was, it was amazing. And, and there I've, you know, fans I met at shows who I still talk to regularly on, on Twitter and on Facebook and things like that. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's been an amazing experience having been, having worked on Dr. Who. The, the actual working on the comic book, um, I valued it so highly. I knew I was really hard on myself, and I probably, you know, hurt the end result by by way of how hard I was on myself. But okay. it was a learning experience for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I wouldn't, you know, take back doing that stuff. I, I would only, you know, value – I only value it, you know, a great deal. Yeah. And yeah, and I would work on Doctor Who again, you know, if, if the circumstances made sense. Sure. You know, um, I've got to do a lot of cool things since. And I think, you know, I could bring bring a better result if I ever mm-hmm. did. You know, 
Yeah, well, you know, the looking back on, like I said this morning, I was looking back on the Eye of Bashara, and uh, I really enjoyed your artwork on there, and you refreshed my memory about you drawing uh, Kevin the Dinosaur. Uh, yeah, yes, well, I I remember that one. And Kevin is is one of the companion that I wish that they would bring back in the comics, just even for a story here and there. Absolutely, I got to draw his suit of armor, which is the coolest thing. <laughs> with his big with his bigger arms to compensate for his little tiny. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, it was exactly. Such a sweet, sweet character, uh-huh. I love that. I love making drawing a dinosaur smile. Yeah, <laughs> like, so fun. Uh huh. So, uh, yeah, like you said, the Dr. Who stuff was quite some time ago, and you've done quite a bit of work since then. And uh, it would be a a crime of me not to mention the fact that um, this year you got some rather big news and that you and uh, uh, some cohorts won a Pulitzer Prize. Yes, we did. We won a Pulitzer Prize for the the work that we do at uh, Business Insider, or Insider more properly. Um, we do a series of nonfiction stories, or, or you could even say historical stories, um, you know, about current events and, you know, kind of things that we, we would hope people are paying attention to. We, you know, we first did, uh, one of our first stories was about the pandemic itself. Um, but then, yeah, just last year, at the end of the year, we did a story, um, about, uh, uh, the internment of, of Muslims in China. And okay. that got us that got us um, our Pulitzer Prize. Uh, it was a, it came as a bit of a shock, but uh, you I, know, I, right I would think that would you know something yeah. you, you're totally not expecting, totally out of the blue. Yeah, um, but we were grateful, and and you know you don't do it for the awards, obviously, but you know we were so appreciative of the recognition, and. Um, it's funny. I don't. I don't. You know. I don't fully know how to comprehend that because everyone, you know, brings it up and they go, "I don't know what it means." You mm-hmm. know, that I, I've won. You know, that we've won this award. Um, but it's cool. You know, it's amazing. Uh, I'll use that as you know. It, it'll uh, it'll it'll crop up in social events. Be like, oh yes, by the way, I <laughs> I am a Pulitzer Prize. Uh huh. Or well, use it to gain leverage in, in arguments. You know. I don't yep. know which one of us is right, but I do know which one of us has a Pulitzer Prize. So. <laughs> one Maybe. of those little things you could just throw in there, here and there. Maybe I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, like uh, you you can claim yourself as the the only Doctor Who comic artist who has won a Pulitzer Prize. So yes, I can. So you can use that as a claim to fame. I can use it as a claim to fame. No, I am I am very jealous of the talent and success of so many of the. Doctor Who artists that are out there, uh, you know, who've, who've worked on the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm in a great, among a great group of people, and we all kind of have those, that, like, camaraderie of having worked on Who. Um, when I first got my first story done, I was in, I, I remember being at San Diego Comic-Con and uh, seeing Dave Gibbons at, in the in the hotel room. And I've, I've known, Dave has known me since I was little. And oh, yeah. I, I stopped Dave and I said, Dave, I'm working on Doctor Who, and he's like, "That's so cool," you know. And he <laughs> you know, he had that same kind of like, like he matched my energy, my enthusiasm quite well, uh-huh. you know. We both have that like, yeah, you know, it's 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 Doctor Who, it's amazing. Uh-huh. Um, and you know, I remember you know working with 
working up among some great people. Obviously, Matthew Dustin, that's who I mentioned. Um, Blair Shedd, who was doing some really cool stuff at the time with Doctor Who. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, Mitch Gerards, who's gone on to become, you know, a superstar. Yeah, yep, uh, definitely. So so it's it, it's great to be among those talents. And the people who work on, on Doctor Who since. Um, I can't name everybody. You know, Rachel Stock comes to mind. Um, uh-huh. But, yeah, some just amazing, amazing talents. So it's great to be among that group. Yeah, it's uh, just, you know, from the, not with the Doctor Who magazine, the, the comic strip there, but if you look at the artists who have worked on the, for IDW as well as for Titan, there's mm-hmm. some really amazing uh, illustrators that have uh, kind of used Doctor Who as a springboard to go on to, to bigger and better things in the comic industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And some great cover artists too. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Such a such a group. I remember when I was waiting to come on to Doctor Who. Tom Lee Edwards was doing covers at the time, yep. uh, and I just missed having him do covers for my stuff. But uh, I think I had uh, Mark Buckingham was doing some do did some covers. Yep, books I did, which was awesome. Um, I got to work on a piece of a cover once, and I did my own variant cover. I commissioned my own variant cover <laughs> for, for one of them. I remember doing that and I, I i wrote to denton and i was like i want to commission my own variant cover and he was like all right i'll put you in touch with dirk wood because what was denton, denton was not gonna have any, didn't have any problem with that uh-huh. and dirk wood was in charge of the variants and I, I i said i want to commission my own cover and he's like you mean like a retailer variant for for a store and i said no no for me just for me <laughs> and he's like, why would you want to do that and and i was like wait and see <laughs> Uh, and and uh, I had to commission a thousand of them. Uh, oh, really? Done, um, which I did, and I sold out of them in a few convent after in a few conventions, selling them uh-huh. for like ten dollars a piece or whatever it was. So like, I, since since I did that, I know plenty of artists and and plenty of people have done have commissioned their own, you know, exclusive yeah. variants or you know very specific. I, I think uh-huh. I think I, I I helped move that that along. Um, because I, if I look back, I go, I should have done two thousand or three thousand at that point. Because yeah. people were buying them up like crazy. They they loved the idea of getting their own, you know, exclusive artist variant at a convention uh-huh. for a book. And that was, you know, that was the the frustrating thing was IDW, you know, they did everything they could to uh, to to make that book succeed, but they only had the license to print it in the in North America. Yep, they didn't have the license to print in the UK. So. Um, it was already, you know, a little bit handicapped um, in terms of its success. And one of the biggest things I kept hearing every time I'd go to conventions was I didn't know there was a Doctor Who comic, uh-huh. which was was crushing. You know, like oh, yeah. there's all these fans, there's all these people in costume, there's all these people who watch the show who are coming to the convention looking for Doctor Who stuff, and, uh-huh. and, and not even being aware that that, that uh, comic exists. So I like that. You know, I like to think I helped. You know at the time raised some awareness for the book, you know, trying to do those variants and, and really pushing it. But, you know, that's just me being, you know, an egoist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stroking <laughs> over there. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, currently you, like I said, you just want to appeal a surprise, uh, for insider. Um, do you have any other, uh, comic related work coming up on the horizon? Anything that you can talk about? Uh, um, I'm, uh, there, there, it's a lot of stuff in early stages right now. Um, okay. Uh, I've, I've kind of been on a bit of a break. Um, 
as as you know and probably a bunch of people know my, my father passed away last april so yes, yes. i was kind of taking some time to focus on family um but, totally understandable you know and with was even more so like my my condolences uh on the passing of your father but not only just for your family but for the comic family you know worldwide that is was a huge loss absolutely and and you know i i always say everyone um everyone loses you know a a a parental figure in their life everyone goes through that um more or less uh uh, so so i'm not experiencing anything that's unique but i have I i do consider myself lucky that he had such a he had reached such a big community that you know in my time of mourning and in my family's time of mourning there were all these people who were sort of with us you know mm-hmm. you know being supportive reminiscing you know raising him up uh at that time so i yeah. I, I feel like i i had um i wouldn't say a better experience losing my father but um you know i was supported very well so he definitely just, had support and and especially over, I would say probably the past 10, 15 years, your, your dad did so many comic conventions. Um, I know there was a couple conventions I went to where I spent some time talking to your dad and your dad drew a Batman sketch for my son, who was probably like seven or eight years old at the time, you know, uh, and there, there's so many people that had that, that one-on-one experience with your dad that made him so much more, not just the, the people who like me grew up, you know, looking ahead at his artwork, but we had a, a, a person to associate with that artwork that we knew. Oh yeah. My dad was, he was a good, he was, he was a good personality and, and uh, a good person. And yes, uh-huh. he, he was a sucker for doing sketches for kids. Uh, um, yeah. But uh, back to your, back to your question. <laughs> um yeah, I'm 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 working on a number of things. I'm I'm we're going to be doing more stuff with Insider. Um, we're just we're working on our, our pitches right now for what stories we want to cover. Okay. Uh, and then uh, um, I'm working with a company called Zest World right now, which okay. uh, is a digital publisher, and we just started doing uh, our, the platform includes digital comics, but we also just started doing a thing where we do digital commissions. So people can commission a piece of digital art um, through there. And there's a number okay. of artists that are currently doing that. Uh, Phil Jimenez, Jim Mafood, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, uh, oh, wow. Jones, myself. Uh, there are more, and I'm embarrassed that I'm forgetting the more <laughs> names, but they are, they're all doing digital commissions through there. Okay. Um, and I will be doing a series, uh, a comic series through Zest World as well that I'm currently working on. Um, I've been, I've been talking with some other people. I'm actually sketching some character designs for, uh, a pitch that I'm working on with another writer, um, right now. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But, you know, it's actually, I've never been more busy in my life. It's just, we're in the early stages of everything. Um, so it's, it's been a, you know, a good time creatively. And I think some cool stuff will be on the way soon. Well, that's awesome. That's good to hear that you're busy and that. You got things in the works, and uh, for people that want to follow what you're up to and hear when all this stuff comes out, what's the best way to keep track of you? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter at Josh Adams. Uh, I've had that Twitter account, you know, since the early days, so I got my own name. I'm really proud of that. Uh huh. Um, 
as my name is one of the most vanilla basic names in the world. Uh, you can catch me on Instagram at www.joshd. Uh, those are probably the two best places to keep up with me. Those are the places okay. I the most. Uh, my website is whatwouldjoshdo.com. Uh, it's in serious need of updating since I don't think it mentions my Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> That's, that exists. You can find me there. There's also social uh-huh. media links there. Um, and uh, yeah, check me out. Uh, I think if you go on, on Twitter and Instagram, you can also get to the Zest World um, commissions page if anyone is keen on a commission. I am keen on drawing them. It'll be fun. All right. That sounds great. Well, Josh, uh, like I said, I, I really enjoyed your artwork, uh, your art that you did for Doctor Who back in the day. And uh, I congratulations on the Pulitzer. Um, continued success in your Zest World stuff and everything else that's coming up. And uh, thank you for taking time to, to chat with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad we could finally do this. It's to the point where I don't think that we were saying back in the day when we first started talking about you interviewing me. <laughs> I think you. I think you're right on that. I think it was still fairly recent at the time, but uh, it we, was we finally we finally got our, our uh, schedules to coordinate. <laughs> I'm glad we could do it. This has been really fun. Many thanks to Josh Adams for joining me on Doctor Who Panel to Panel today. Um, like you heard at the end of the interview, this story, or this interview has been kind of in the works for years now. I contacted him, I don't know how long ago, back probably in the early days of Doctor Who Panel to Panel, uh, about coming on the show, and just for one reason or another, uh, we kind of kept missing each other, and uh, I got sidetracked, and who knows what happened, but I think it all worked out very well in the end. And I hope you enjoyed hearing him talk about his career, uh, his Pulitzer Prize, his work on Doctor Who comics, and much, much more. In fact, uh, make sure you listen after the closing credits of this episode, because after Josh and I uh, concluded our interview, we kept chatting for a while, and uh, we ended up having some, some discussions and chats about things that I think were, were very relevant and viable, and I think you would enjoy hearing. So I tacked those on at the end of this episode, so make sure that you listen after the closing credits for the, the leftover bits from my interview with Josh Adams. But before that, I want to thank you once again for downloading this episode of Panel to Panel. I hope if you're going to San Diego Comic Con, you have a great time. Make sure you have fun for me. And keep reading those Doctor Who comics. Keep uh, supporting Doctor Who comics. And until next time, this is Jeremy Bement saying bye. Doctor Who Panel to Panel, the podcast about Doctor Who comics, thanks you for downloading this episode. Let us know what you thought about this episode or of Doctor Who comics in general. You can find us socially on Facebook at Doctor Who Panel to Panel, on Twitter at Doctor Who P2P, 2 being the number 2, and online at DoctorWhoComics.com. Download previous episodes via your favorite podcast service and find the complete catalog of episodes featuring amazing interviews with creators past and present at archive.org. Just search for Doctor Who Panel to Panel. Thank you. I I have no problem talking about Dad. Um, I will say that I, I think I've learned a lot about who I am as an artist since Dad passed away. There was a strange... Um, 
sort of feeling, you know, you, you've got an, in, when you have an influ- influential father in, in the same business you're in, um, you always sort of feel like the kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I could totally understand that. And it's strange. I mean, I'm 35 now. Um, but for the first time I've sort of feel like the adult, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. you know, you, you grow up a lot after going through that. And, um, I sort of had to, to even just creatively face the reality that like, you know, everyone says, Oh, do you draw your dad? Or I see some influences that are your dad. And it's like, well, none of that really matters. You Mm -hmm. know, I just have to do the work and I'm going to be whatever artist I'm going to be. Yep. Yep. Whatever your, your, you and your pencil puts on the page or digitally drawing, you know, that's what it's going to be. And if, if people see influences of, you know, whoever, whether it be your dad or Jim Aparo or, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Adam Hughes or whatever the that they see in there, that's what they're going to see. That's the thing. And Bill Sienkiewicz actually touched on this a bit because um, he had, you know, he had a similar thing about, you know, uh-huh. like Neil Adams, where, you know, he back in the in the, I don't know, late 70s or 80s, you know, uh, uh, he he discussed that he at one point was going to work uh, for my dad at continuity yeah. and dad basically told him not to mm-hmm. uh, and he said look if you're going to work here you're probably just, you're going to continue drawing like I am and you know the best you'll ever be is you know almost you know the second best Neil Adams a, a, a Neil Adams clone yeah so yeah he said yeah the best you'll ever be is the second best Neil Adams yeah you have the ability to be the best Bill Sienkiewicz. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as Bill had said, it kind of freed him creatively to do whatever he wanted. He didn't have to try to be like Neil Adams. He could be whatever he wanted to be. Yeah. And that made him a better artist. That made yeah. him And just, just look at the, he went on a, a, ta- a total tangent to, to what he had been doing in, in drawing like your dad. And did some of the absolute best work of his career. Yeah, and definitely is is you know a, you know one of the best in the in the business bar none. So so for me, you know I don't think about if I'm drawing like Dad anymore or if I'm drawing like me or what I'm supposed to draw like. I just draw now, and mm-hmm. I'm so much happier with the work I produce. 